The teachings of General Conference are the considerations the Lord would have before us now and in the months ahead. Our marching orders for each six months are found in the General Conference addresses. For the next six months, your conference edition of the Ensign should stand next to your standard works and be referred to frequently. I encourage you to read the talks once again and to ponder the messages contained therein. I exhort you to study the messages of this conference frequently, even repeatedly, during the next six months. You're listening to the Conference Talk Podcast, where it's conference weekend every weekend. Every week on this show, we discuss talks from the most recent General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We'll share some insights, make some connections, and hopefully have a bit of fun as we study the words of the men and women God has called to direct His church in these the latter days. This is episode four. I'm Michael Young, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Stanfill. Hey there. And we'll be talking about Elder Suarez's address, The Savior's Abiding Compassion. So much to unpack in this talk. It was a beautiful reminder of how we all should be acting. <laughs> but, um, I picked out some quotes that I especially like from the talk, but I wanted to give you a chance too, Kevin, to uh, to sound off. Initially, what were some some quotes that stuck out to you from this particular conference address? You know, something that stuck out in my first read through was actually one of the footnotes. Oh, that's always fun. You never, you sometimes miss those, right? Yeah, especially if you're just listening to the talk. Uh, if you don't go through the the text, especially there in the in the Gospel Library app, you may miss a few kind of cool things that the apostles and general authorities they throw in there. When Elder Soros talks about compassion as a fundamental characteristic of Christian people, it links to the guide to the scriptures for compassion, and it says in the scriptures, compassion means literally to suffer with. Sometimes we think we know what a term in the scriptures means, but I mean you can't you can't go wrong with that. That's that's the definition. Whenever you read in the scriptures, you can just substitute that in. Yeah, so we have the, the two parts of it. We have the calm, like with, and then passion, you know, the, the, to, to feel with somebody else, to feel what they're feeling. And that that's such a word that describes the Savior and his ability to show that to everyone. That It's like we read in Alma 7, talks about he bore not just our sins, but all of our infirmities. And so he, there's no one more in line to, to do that, who has is the greater ability to do that than the Savior. So I just love that you brought up the particular meaning of that word, because that's what this talk is all about. Yeah, for sure. It was very interesting how some things come into your head, like even before you know why you need them in your head. Uh, I was going about my day and I was listening to some other people talk and I had this thought come into my head, like the way that we're supposed to live is that we need to be more focused on our own actions and our neighbor's needs than on our neighbor's actions and our own needs. And that saying just came into my head and like I didn't, hadn't really heard it from anywhere, but thinking, yes, that's exactly right. And then I got asked to do this podcast. I read this talk. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that's exactly what this talk is about. I felt like the, the Lord had been preparing the soil uh, for me in my own life. So I just thought that was a wonderful thing. Uh, he talks uh, about the biblical incident in this one where the Christ was uh, invited over to this very 
well-to-do man's house. And while he was uh, sitting there, this this poor uh, woman whom the Pharisee termed a sinner came in and washed Jesus' feet with her tears and was, was very contrite. And Simon, the, the this rich man, kind of was like, what is going on here? Like, why is he allowing her to do this? Doesn't he know who this is? You know, he gets this indignant attitude. And it's so interesting how the Savior handles that. If, if you put yourself in, in their own shoes, like you have a, a guest over and then some person walks in off the street, he probably doesn't have the best clothes or look looks unkempt. And they, they come in and they start trying to talk to your guest. Like Simon, you might feel indignant. But what do you notice about how the, the Savior handles the situation? I just think it's so interesting and instructive. What I want to say, or what I want to add there is it, it reminded me of when we were as a, a church body encouraged to take upon a higher, holier way of ministering to people, right? Yes. And I wrote down in my notes uh, for this talk, I, I wrote, we're to act higher and holier, but not for ourselves. And not holier than thou either. <laughs> and not holier than thou. <laughs> It's really so we can bless others. Having the the Christ in your home and you being able to host him, that's a great honor. But when you walk around in your everyday life and you're you're hosting the Christ as Simon did, where it's like I'm somehow elevated by my relationship with Jesus Christ above all these lowly people who don't know him like I know him. Oh yeah. It was easy for him to get that sort of superior attitude, right? Right. Understanding that the only reason that we're allowed to to have received the, the gospel fullness and, and any measure of the Spirit is so that we can be instruments in his hands. As Elder Uchtdorf has talked about being literally his hands, it's what he's chosen to do his work with is, is us. Is us, yeah. It's easy for us to look at that. And I think we could see ourselves in both characters here. I think the natural man side of us is is Simon. That's our natural reaction. But then the person that puts off the natural man and becomes a saint through the spirit, the woman. When we uh, feel that and put off the natural man, that's how we're going to want to act. We're going to want to come to the Savior in that contrite attitude and beg him for his forgiveness and show him through our tears, the, the, the sorrow we have for the, our fallen state and our mistakes. I think it's interesting. We got to make sure thing like, Oh, well, he wants us to be like the woman. Like I see myself in her, but we have to make sure that we realize, yeah, we could see ourselves in either of those characters. It just depends on what we choose to be. Absolutely. Elder Suarez says that the Pharisees holier than thou attitude led him to judge unjustly both Jesus and the woman. But in his omniscience, the Savior knew Simon's mind, and in his great wisdom, challenged Simon's condescending attitude, as well as admonished him for his lack of courtesy in receiving a special guest, like the Savior, into his home. In fact, Jesus' direct rebuke of the Pharisee served as a witness that Jesus indeed possessed the gift of prophecy, and that this woman with a humble and contrite heart was repentant and forgiven of her sins. It's that perspective that Jesus has. We have to trust that even in the people that we don't think are deserving of forgiveness, we don't know that. We don't know their circumstances. We don't know their hearts. We don't know their past. But he does. 
you can't just by looking at somebody discern those things. Only the Savior can do that. That's really his job. It's not, it's not up to us. As I re-listened to this talk earlier today, I thought about the talk a few conferences past uh-huh. called Eyes to See, I believe by Sister Craven. And, and they've also done a, a great, great video to go along with that little conference story. Oh, so that's by Michelle D. Craig in October 2020. That's right. That talk, the reason that it, it hit me at the time and the story of her evaluating how she uses her time and how she can either use it to, to kind of be idle or to look around and, and potentially serve someone. Oh, that was the story of that when she's waiting in line at the grocery store, right? That's right. And, and she she talked to that old man where it was his birthday and nobody had had noticed. Oh, yeah, seriously, that was like a, a wake-up call, right? How many times have I been standing in line on my phone, right? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> because I know I'm guilty of that. I know I'm guilty of of being idle and and not letting the Lord use me the way that he would want to. But there is a, a choice there. It's it's actually a, a use of our agency, whether we want to be employed in his service day to day, or if we want to clock out after our church service is done, or after we've checked the box of ministering to that person, sending the text, whatever we, oh, we yeah. do. That segues perfectly into this other quote that I really loved from it. It is meaningful to observe that Jesus's compassionate acts were not occasional or mandated manifestations based on a list of tasks to be completed, but everyday expressions of the reality of his pure love for God and his children and his abiding desire to help them. Just like you were saying, it's not a checklist. Charity, having the pure love of Christ, is that love of God, that love of your fellow men, and that, that desire because of that love, motivated by love. To serve them, it needs to be something that is that we work at until it becomes a natural manifestation, and not something that we just I kind of look around. Okay, I guess I did my ministering. I sent that guy a a text, and we left some cookies. But that it becomes something that, like, oh, you know, I wonder how he's doing because I want him to be okay, and I know that he's had some difficulty. You know, it's that paradigm shift. That's how the Savior did it. He, he wasn't just going around and like, all right, so here are my list of people to visit today. I'm going to put in my FaceTime and then, you know, go on. Everything he did was motivated by that genuine concern. And I think that's the direction we need to try to head in ourselves. Absolutely. The reference in the talk to the story of the, the widow of Nain. Oh, yeah, that's the other one. There, there are a couple of interesting things about that scripture story, which only recently were brought to my attention in an institute class. One of which is that the the preceding story where Jesus heals the servant of a centurion, uh, that occurs in Capernaum. And then it says the next day he went to the city of Nain. And that, if you do the, the geography check, it's about 32 miles from Capernaum to Nain. Oh my goodness. So Jesus was booking it. Yeah, and right. they, he didn't have the, the the fastest of transportation, I can imagine. He's probably walking. Absolutely. And so so not only was it very intentional, that travel, I'm sure, but and of course, you know, Jesus, he he knew this woman, he knew her circumstances, he knew that he was needed at that time. It describes her as well as a, a certain 
woman, right? Which in the scriptures seems to imply some sort of familiarity. You know, what I take away from that and just in the context of, of our conversation today is that sometimes you need to be in the home or at the porch, you know, at the doorstep. There needs to be some intention behind our ministering efforts. And it's it's so easy to say, uh, that's right now is a little inconvenient, right? Sure. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, the Savior, it, with your example there, just showed it doesn't matter if it's convenient. And it, it what matters is the, is the timing. He was there at the right time and just at, you know, the perfect timing uh, to be there to alleviate this woman's suffering. It's really easy to rationalize away when you have this prompting, like, go, go talk to this person or go visit them, go see what they need. It's so easy to be like, well, I've got a lot of things to do. Uh, I can just check on them just as well tomorrow. Tomorrow might not be the time that the Lord needs you to be there and to be his hands. I was a missionary in Germany, and I had just gotten my first trainee. And uh, there, there was a time where it was a night, and it was so uh, I was so tired, <laughs> and I, I just wanted to go back. But he told me that he felt like we needed to check on this certain person, and he uh, spoke to me as his trainer and convinced me <laughs> uh, to go ahead and do it. And um, we ended up going, and it was exactly the right time. I've been trying to get a hold of this person for a while, and we, as we got there, he had just arrived. And if I hadn't heeded that prompting that given through the, my junior companion there, he, uh, we, we wouldn't have been there at the right time. Timing is so important. Faith in the Lord includes faith in his timing. So that, that's not only for people who just have to sit, who need to patiently wait for the fulfillment of promises or blessings, but it's also faith in like when the Lord says you need to act now, that you really need to act now because that is his timing as well. As he spoke, I was drawn back to that talk, Eyes to See, and not just the decision to to be that malleable you know, that thing that the, the Lord can work with, right? But also being quick to observe, not being too caught up in the, the routine. One thing that I, I really wanted to get into in our conversation was what are, what are the things that we can do to really develop this, this Christ-like trait of compassion? You know, if, if we feel that we're lacking in compassion, whether it be to uh, people in general, or to a specific person. Yeah. <laughs> what are ways that we can flex and strengthen our compassion muscles? Oh, see, I like how you put that. Or it, it is a muscle. It is a, a, something that we do need to develop over time. And whenever I, I think of that, I think of in um, near the end of the Book of Mormon, where it says that we are to pray with all the energy of heart that we may be filled with this love. Uh, that it it's something that, we can be filled with as a gift from our heavenly father. He knows that we're not going to have it on our own, especially if we're dealing with particularly difficult people. Uh, it's not something that it's going to spontaneously bubble up from inside of us. <laughs> it's something that we are going to need to seek heaven's help to get. And like you said, it's a, a practice um, that actually goes really well into this, the other, this quote that he mentions at the end of his remarks, uh, Elder Suarez. He says, my dear friends, I testify that as we strive to incorporate the Savior's compassionate example in our lives, our capacity to complement the virtues of our neighbors will increase and our natural instinct to judge their imperfections will decrease. 
our communion with God will grow, and certainly our lives will become sweeter, our feelings more tender, and we will find a never-ending source of happiness. We shall be known as peacemakers, whose words are as gentle as the dew of a spring morning. He's saying that that's really twofold, that uh, on one hand, we need to increase in our capacity to complement the virtues, the, the good things that we see in other people, while we are getting rid of the natural instinct uh, to judge their imperfections. So I think it's really a twofold process. We have to strengthen both of those aspects of our personality to create this. And goodness, the rewards of that sound absolutely incredible. This is a promise from one of the apostles that we will find a source of never-ending happiness as we create this in our lives. I mean, that's something I would like. <laughs> I'm guessing that uh, uh, we all would love that. Uh, and there it is, the formula. Not that that's that that's an easy thing to do, but I think it, it is a doable thing to do. Yeah. Over time. We talk about this Christ-like attribute of long-suffering. Yes. Um, <laughs> he was very good at that. <laughs> he was excellent. Um, and, and that really goes hand in hand with his compassionate nature, you know, being willing to, to wait for others to, to figure things out and not preemptively judge them for not getting it, but seeing that they have a true potential in them. And again, we, we go back to eyes to see, do you, do you close your eyes to someone who they could become because of what they're doing or what they have done or what you predict that they will continue doing. Yeah. People are a lot more like plants. You can't sit there and yell at the plant to grow faster. Dang it. You know, like you, you have to nurture it. You have to be patient with it. You, you have to, you know, have the, like you said, the foresight to say, I'm doing this because of the potential of what could be and not what is already before me. And it makes not a bit of difference if you're going to sit there and try to yell at the plant to grow faster. There's just no other way around it than the gradual line on line that we're taught in the gospel. And yeah, that's that's excellent because we do we get impatient with each other, don't we? And and we can be impatient with ourselves in this kind of quest to become more compassionate. Absolutely. And, and so you know what what's wrong with me? Why why don't I have this uh, supposedly innate ability to to be compassionate to to anyone and everyone. But what, what I appreciate that Elder Soros says is it's a natural instinct to judge. It's, it's actually a unnatural or more uh, higher trait to have this long suffering waiting for others and, and being there for them and not waiting for them to figure it out. And then, okay, now you, now we can join together, but you're right there with them. Cause that that's, that's how the savior is with us as we bumble along and just knock things over and just make a big mess out of things here <laughs> on earth. He's right there beside us um, all the way. Yeah. I ha myself have a, an infant at home. She's adorable, but as you can imagine, she can't do much for herself. Every time I, I have three ch children, every time I go through that phase, the baby phase, I think of, you know, is this, in some way, how our Heavenly Father sees us spiritually, you know, that we're, we're just 
babies. You know, we were just barely unlocking the very first things, the first steps of our spiritual potential. And we're what he has to work with. And he's infinitely patient. <laughs> just looking at her, at her, I just think, okay, you know what? I, I know what she's going to grow up to be, and I'm excited for it. And I'm sure our, our Heavenly Father feels the same way about us. Like, he knows what we can grow up to be in our potential. And I'm sure that excites him, too. He wants us. He wants that for us. You know, I want that for my daughter, uh, to, to have all those wonderful experiences of life. So just have to trust the process. You know, what, what I hear in that is that I should want more for people. And, and that's a way for me to find the compassion for them. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It, wanting more and not, not being a comparison game. That's a, that's a big problem we have in today's society is every, everybody's comparing everyone to everyone else. And we find ourselves comparing ourselves to everyone else, but genuinely practicing wanting more for other people and wanting their success, no matter what personally happens to you. I mean, that's, that's a that's a big natural man uh, thing these days. <laughs> Absolutely, just that that classic uh, image of the moat and the beam that he talks about in here. I remember reading that growing up and being like, "What is he talking about?" <laughs> like that those aren't common word. You know, <laughs> we don't talk about moats in people's eyes these days, but a moat just being a, a tiny little speck of something. You know, but, yeah. You come up to somebody, hey, you got a little something on, on your face. You know, there's something that's barely obscuring your vision. So it's probably so small that you don't even, the person who has it doesn't even notice that it's there. It has to, you know, somebody else would have to tell him. And then the other, but the other person coming up with a beam, uh, big long stick or something that basically is obscuring his vision quite a bit. Uh, and just that, that classic metaphor of saying, you got to be so careful before you try to fix other people because you might have the the bigger problem yourself that is obscuring your ability to do that. Uh, it's just a paradigm shift for all of us. We have to make sure, yeah, that, that we're, that's not what we're trying to do. Let the Savior be the judge. You know, he's the only one with all the facts, <laughs> with all the perspective, and we're not. And I, I love that. You know, we we just keep coming back to you know the eyes. What can we start doing that we know we should be doing with with our eyes, observing and and looking for the good in people, looking for opportunities. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And then maybe stop doing the things that we know we we shouldn't really be engaging in the the comparison, the judging, um, even the looking away from things that we know are right. Yeah, and making sure that getting rid of the things that are obscuring our own vision. Yeah, I, I like it. It really does all come down to the the things that we observe with our eyes, and the things that we choose to focus on with our own vision. Yeah, I really like that. That's really a, a thread that's not uh, apparent until you dig a little bit deeper into this conversation, I think. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Conference Talk Podcast. If you like this episode, give us a five-star rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and share us with a friend. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to read the talks we've discussed, find the resources we've mentioned in the show notes, send us a message, or follow us on social media. You can do all that on our website, conferencetalk.org. Big thanks to my co-host, Kevin, for hopping on the mics with me. You can follow Kevin at ChristCenterConversations.org. 
and you can catch Michael Young at authormichaelyoung.com. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next week on another episode of the Conference Talk Podcast. Bye.